1: Hey everybody, I want to talk to you about Squarespace Courses. It has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. You can create engaging content your audience is going to love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace Courses. So just go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use our offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there, and Jerry's not here, but we're going to make it through somehow. Uh, In this edition of Stuff You Should Know, um, I'm going to call this one, Chuck, the Icarus edition, because we made it through the sun podcast just hanging on by our fingernails before, and through just an astounding act of hubris, we're going to do another sun-related episode. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we talked about a lot of this stuff in the Sun one.
0: Yeah, we did, but I don't think we went anywhere near into this kind of detail. So, I'm feeling okay about redoing this. Good. Doing something that, that's like kind of a, a re, redo a little bit. Okay. I don't know.
1: Are you feeling okay? I'm feeling great.
0: Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. <clears throat> I don't know if I would say I'm feeling great, but that's good that you are at least. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we're talking about the Sun believe it or not. And we're talking about a specific thing on the sun called solar flares, which you may have heard of, but you may not know much about, unless apparently you've already listened to our sun episode. But um, we'll talk a little bit about solar flares. But one of the things that, that I think is extraordinarily interesting about solar flares is they belong to a larger category called space weather. And I am just as jazzed as can be about the idea of
1: space weather, aren't you? Uh, not as jazzed as you, I don't think, but I do think this is, this is pretty neat stuff. And I'm glad we're, we're getting a chance to make it more clear than we did before. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a good, that's a good point. I'm sure we talked about this before, but it was probably extremely confusing. So yeah, we're going to clear all that out. So space weather, especially stuff that comes from the sun, comes mostly from the surface or the atmosphere of the sun, which is extraordinarily Active it's extraordinarily hot, so hot, Chuck, um, that the surface of the sun is made of plasma, which a lot of people consider the fourth state of matter it's like a gas, but it's a special kind of gas that um, where the particles are as jazzed about being alive as I am about the idea of space weather
1: that's right they're supercharged, and when they are moving around, they create something called medic- magnetic <coughs> fields, not the band, the thing. Even though it is a great band name Mm -hmm. and a great band. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they uh, are going to, you know, magnetic fields have their own effect on all these particles and what's going on up there.
0: Yeah, so the the energetic electrons that have been stripped from the atoms, creating electrons and ions, which have a charge, they create magnetic fields. And then w- the magnetic fields they create have an effect on them um, so that they they tend to follow these magnetic field lines. But the the stuff is so energetic and so hot that the magnetic fields that develop aren't like this kind of orderly lines that keep their distance, you know, nice and tidy, like you imagine like a a magnetic field to exist like. These things are like roiling, curling, twisting. It's just a big orgy of magnetism up there. (laughs) That's the only way to put it. That's it. (laughs) I had no choice but to say it like that.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, you know, this stuff is going on. It's called solar activity. And it depends on when you're, observing the sun it's going to be more or less active there's a there's a cycle it's called the solar cycle that uh, happens about every 11 years when the magnetic north and south poles switch and within that cycle um, there's something called a solar maximum which is the period kind of where the biggest show is going on
0: yeah there's also a solar minimum but the solar maximum is um we're in solar cycle twenty-five apparently, and the solar maximum is coming up on in two thousand twenty-five. That's very right, very appropriately. Um, and so, as we're reaching the solar maximum, there's going to be a lot more of uh, what people call sunspots. By people, I mean astronomers, of course. Um, and sunspots are these kind of darkish areas. On the surface of the sun, Uh, they can be little tiny dots. They can be kind of big, but they look really, really small and they look dark. Um, And the reason they look dark is because they're relatively cool compared to the rest of the surface that's around them. Um, But even still, they're super duper hot and they're still pretty bright, comparatively speaking.
1: Yeah, like a sunspot is about 6,500 degrees Fahrenheit (laughs) because we're talking about the sun. So cool is a relative term here. Right. Uh, And as far as bright goes, that's about 10 times as bright as a full moon. So if you go out at night in a full moon and it kind of feels like a little cool daylight, a sunspot Mm -hmm. is about 10 times brighter than that. Right. So you shouldn't go looking at these things.
0: No, no, no. That's a really good thing to say. It's like we're talking about a lot of stuff that's going to make you want to look at the sun. Don't do it. Just go online and look at pictures of this stuff on the sun or videos even. We have videos thanks to the good people at NASA. (laughs) But um, the sunspots. so it really just goes to show you how hot and bright the surface of the sun is, that these things seem cool and dark by comparison. And huge. Um, yeah, and they are really, really big. So the width of them can get to be up to 30,000 miles across, which is about the width of Neptune, which is huge, or about four times the width of Earth. Um, and still, they look super dinky compared to the sun. And the reason that these things are cooler, Chuck, is because they're spots of magnetism that are so strong that they keep the heat inside the sun from poking out right there. That's how strong the magnetic energy is in these areas.
1: Yeah, and that's right. And because they're magnets, they form in, in little pairs, like little buddies. Mm-hmm. And they appear on the surface of the sun. And what, what we're actually looking at, if you can, like, go to— uh, NASA or whatever, like you said, and see a picture of a sunspot. What you're looking at is sort of like the two ends of, um, if you think about these magnetic lines, they're these magnetism. It's like a filament, like a rope. Just picture them twisted up, basically, running beneath the sur- sun surface. And there are some really really cool pictures of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then one end of this sunspot is positive, the other end is negative, and it's they sort of act like rings of a tree a little bit as far as astronomers can like observe these things. The first sunspots of mm-hmm. each cycle are in the mid latitudes and then they start moving around during the cycle. So they can kind of see where you are in the solar cycle by where and how many of these sunspots there are.
0: Yeah, so the, the, more, the closer to the solar maximum you are, the more sunspots they're going to be and the closer they're going to be to the equator. So they tell a lot about where, where the sun is in its solar cycle. Um but the thing is when <laughs> these magnetic field lines twists and and curve and turn um <clears throat> they actually can interact with other magnetic field lines and when that happens when they cross kind of like the proton streams crossing in Ghostbusters when that happens um something called a solar flare uh happens it's a it's an event on the sun and it is such a huge Magnificently energetic event that it actually can affect Earth, things on Earth, because it's just so massive and such a huge release and sudden release of energy.
1: I had a Ghostbusters ref penciled in <coughs> later on, if you believe that.
0: Oh, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> it's been a long time when we both have two, or we really both have has. one each. Um, yeah, it, it has, and it's been a while since we listed dates by the years before or since Ghostbusters came out.
1: Mine has a date attached to it. You'll just have to wait. Oh, go-
0: I can't wait! <laughs> what a great episode this is shaping up to be.
1: So these explosions, the magnetic fields are driving these explosions, and if you you know if you're lay people like us, it's you can either look at this as something that's kind of simple to look at on its surface. Or if you really want to get into it, it's pretty complex and not easily understood. But the simple answer is, because we're talking about magnetic fields, is that these adjacent fields are pointing in opposite directions, and they basically wipe each other out. And that releases all this magnetic energy and all that heat uh, kind of everywhere that surrounds it.
0: It just goes spew, 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 (laughs) energy, heat, shooting at you from the sun, right? Sure. So, So... People have figured this out, finally. That has to do with, like, um, the the lines of magnetism interacting with one another and annihilating one another. But there's a big mystery attached to this, or there there was for many, many years. And that is that, okay, so we understand magnetic annihilation. But to this point, we thought it took about 10,000 years for two opposite magnetic lo- fields to annihilate one another. Well, we're talking about here, these solar flares, they they annihilate one another and release all this energy in a matter of minutes, maybe an hour sometimes. So that doesn't quite jibe. And I think back in the 50s, some scientists started proposing um, a type of magnetic energy release called magnetic reconnection. And that is where magnetic field lines are so um, twisty, turny, writhy, and energetic that they can actually rip A field line or like a magnetic field line can rip apart and then reconnect with some neighbors. When that happens, it's called magnetic reconnection. And they think that that is the kind of energetic release that would account for a solar flare.
1: Yeah. And this, you know, this can cause all kinds of problems um, for things in space and for people on Earth even, which we'll get to that stuff in more detail a little bit later. But the point is these things are super hot. Uh, They burst out to uh, the the sun's corona, which if you remember from our sun episode, that's the outermost atmosphere of the sun. Mm -hmm. Rarified gas is all over the place out there. (laughs) And it has, uh, I mean, this is super, super hot stuff. Like normally the temperature in the corona (laughs) is about a a few million degrees Kelvin. But inside that flare, we're talking 10 to 20 million degrees Kelvin. And we always like to... uh, Think of things in terms of either Big Macs or hydrogen bombs, <laughs> yeah. and in this case, it's got to be hydrogen bombs. The amount of energy released during a solar flare is about um, it's millions of one hundred ton hydrogen bombs all at once.
0: Yeah, all at once. That's a really that's a really important point too. You know, and I feel like a real schmo for not having calculated that in, in Big Macs. I don't know how you calories. Won. That's got to be size. <laughs> <clears throat> no, you could do calories.
1: Yeah, but what's the calorie u- of a solar flare?
0: I don't know. I, I didn't <laughs> look. And I feel like a jackass for not having looked.
1: Well, they go down easy. I know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, they do. So, they're big, huge releases of energy. And they're, they're releases of um, radiation. They release um, radiation across the electromagnetic spectrum. And... Uh, That includes the visible light spectrum, so these things just turn into these enormously bright flares, which is where the name comes from. And we've figured out how to classify them. There's a classifying system for solar flares that's a lot like the Richter scale um, in that there's class A, B, C, M, and X. That's not really like the Richter scale. What's like the Richter scale is that each of those classes uh, is 10 times more powerful than the previous class.
1: Yeah, so like an X is <clears throat> the highest. That is ten times, uh, ten times an M, a hundred times a C, mm-hmm. and then once you get to X, uh, you know they didn't go Y and Z. They just said let's stick with X, and then sounds let's start. Cool. Sure, and oh, it sounds totally cool. And mm-hmm. then let's start attaching numbers to them, so mm-hmm. you can have you know X one, two, three, four, and so on
0: yeah and so you know each each of those letter grades has a one through nine scale, but x is so huge that x's scale goes beyond nine. And I think the biggest the biggest one that they've ever caught so far um, that's ever been recorded uh, burned out the sensors that were recording it, and the sensors um, were overloaded at x twenty eight. And they did some calculations after the fact, and they figured out that it may have been an X-45 flare back on November 4th, 2003.
1: Yeah, this was a big deal. This was uh, It was something called the Halloween Storms of 2003, mm-hmm. which is kind of a fun way, uh, you know, it happened because it was in October and near Halloween, so all the astronomers got excited. Mm-hmm. And this one was a little bit weird because... Although it was uh, near the solar maximum, it was two to three years after the peak. And it was, they said, NASA said it's generally a quiet period. So they got really, really excited. There were 17 major flares in that uh, Halloween storm. And it was, that's something that is really going to get the the white coats pretty charged up.
0: It it totally is. I mean, an X-45, that's just Astounding. And I, I did a little bit of, uh, of derivative calculation. Technically, it would be a double A5.
1: Double A5? You know, I saw weird different numbers, too, though. I saw that the sensor cut out at 15, and oh, yeah? the, the estimate was X28. So <clears> huh? <throat> it's really hard. So NASA even had conflicting information.
0: I think we should point this out. This a, You just set us up for a, a COA that I, I wanted to, to include. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> there's two things. Um, there's a lot of disagreement on exactly what a solar flare is and the difference between that and coronal mass ejections, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And it's not necessarily a disagreement in astronomy. Um, it's a disagreement among people who report on stuff like astronomy and don't fully understand what they're talking about. So we ran into that quite a bit. So if we get something mixed up, please forgive us. And then secondly, when we're talking about some of these incredible um, events in physics terms, people who are in the field of physics— understand what they're talking about to one another. Mm-hmm. But they have a, a great <laughs> reputation of not figuring out how to yeah. explain it to the rest of us. And so, they'll put it in different terms. And so, when you're researching this stuff, you're like, "Are you is this describing a different thing than this over here? Or is it just two different people describing the same thing two different ways because they're not describing it in the, the true physics way? Because... I wouldn't understand. So we ran into that a lot, too. Did you?
1: Yeah, and it's frustrating to literally see two different things both from NASA.gov on two different pages. But, you know, who are we to to call out NASA?
0: I I think we just did. We'll call out Space Force. Sure, <laughs> but um, the 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 point is this: it, it, all of that really underscores the fact that our understanding of the dynamics on the sun are still really early and premature, um, and we're still figuring a lot of stuff out, including classifying the differences between solar flares and coronal mass ejections.
1: Yeah, and the light show uh, and the. You know, the fun that the astronomers had in the Halloween storms of 2003 was immense, no matter whether it was X-28 or X-45. That's right. They partied so either s- way. They sure did.
0: They surely did, Chuck. They had a little bit of peach schnapps and went to bed <laughs> yeah. at
1: 1030. Toasted some, a half a shot of brandy and then went to bed.
0: That's right. Prove us wrong, nerds. Prove us wrong. <laughs> uh, I say we take a break and then come back and talk about those coronal mass ejections that I teased. Sure. Okay, we'll be right back, everybody. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments, and if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there
1: for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful.
0: Hey, everybody. Josh and Chuck are here to tell you about a new podcast Car and Drivers Into Cars, a production of Car and Driver in iHeartMedia's Ruby Studio.
1: That's right. It's hosted by Eddie Alterman and Tony Quiroga. Into Cars is the ultimate podcast for car lovers. Whether you're in the market for a new set of wheels or just love the sound of a V8, car and drivers, panel of editors and car experts, test drive and review today's most compelling new rides.
0: And the best part. Eddie and Tony have no filter. They review cars with the same blend of intelligence, independence, and irreverence that has made Car and Driver a trusted source for news and reviews since 1955.
1: Car and Drivers Into Cars is brought to you by eBay Motors. All the parts you need at the prices you want, guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Visit ebaymotors.com for more. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
0: So jump in, buckle up, and listen to Car and Drivers Into Cars, available wherever you get podcasts. All right, so uh, I was saying that it's difficult sometimes to discern the difference between a solar flare, which is a huge burst of radiation across the electromagnetic spectrum um, all at once, uh, which, by the way, takes just a matter of minutes, eight minutes to be exact, to reach Earth because we're talking about carriers of the electromagnetic force which can travel at the speed of light. So it's, we're, I guess, eight minutes uh, but at the speed of light from the sun, Right, right. Um, coronal mass ejections are something different even though they seem to be associated with solar flares in a lot of cases they also seem to be able to kind of stand on their own too either way they're impressive in their own right for sure
1: yeah I mean I think if you were talking in terms of uh, um, visual excitement like Mm -hmm. a, a solar mass I'm sorry a coronal mass ejection is like a full on Grateful Dead concert Whereas a solar flare is like when John Mayer played with members of the Grateful Dead.
0: <laughs> oh, that's mean. I was going to say uh, it was. It's just a, an Instagram video lesson of John Mayer teaching you some
1: <laughs> Grateful Dead licks because it no. does that, you know. Well, but so, solar flares are more magnificent than that.
0: Um. So, man, that's mean. Sorry, sorry, John Mayer, if you're listening. I'm not sorry. Um, Josh is sorry. He uh, he's a nice guy. He apparently uh, has i've seen some stuff like of him teaching like people how to play grateful dead guitar stuff and it's really really hard what he's doing so sure my hat's off jerry garcia right so with uh man i feel weird i just apologized to um john mayer (laughs) on the stuff you should know episode about solar flares you didn't see that coming (laughs) <laughs> no, I didn't. It wasn't in my notes. So, with coronal mass ejections, at least, these, these are not necessarily just bursts of, um, of radiation like a solar flare is. These, they do have some radiation attached, but their big thing is um, particles, highly charged, super energetic particles that it shoots like buckshot toward the Earth. Uh, at incredible speeds, I mean they they get a, they get accelerated very close to the speed of light, not the speed of light and there 's a big difference between the speed of light and close to the speed of light, so it takes about three or four days usually for stuff um, that 's shot out by a coronal mass ejection to reach Earth. But when these things go off on the sun they 're like you said they're they 're rather impressive
1: yeah, like if you were looking at this stuff in a um... With a telescope and a high-powered telescope, that is. I don't. I don't think you could. Well, could you see any of this stuff?
0: It depends. With anything you have at
1: home, and you know, I've got a pretty good telescope, but it's for nighttime viewing only.
0: So, with the, um, I think you can see coronal mass ejections. I, I think solar flares. You're best with a radio telescope or an X-ray telescope. But the X-ray telescope would have to be outside of Earth's magnetosphere. Do you have a telescope?
1: Yeah. Okay. Got a telescope. Was, it's
0: not a radio
1: telescope. Though. No, no, no. I just uh we've never talked <laughs> we've never scoped it up in conversation, and I would be no. surprised if you didn't, but I'm glad to know you do. We do have one, yeah. So flares like if you were looking through an X-ray or a radio telescope at a solar flare, it'll look cool, it'll look like a flash of light. Mm-hmm. But those coronal mass ejections are really impressive. Big eruptions, uh the the height can be many times the size of the Earth shooting out into space, like you said.
0: And they're they're kind of like a belch from the sun that actually releases part of the sun. It's like a a bubble of plasma that's just enormous, Um, often billions and billions of tons uh, in mass, just coming right at the Earth, full of these incredibly charged particles. Um, And they're so big, so massive. And the plasma that they're made of is so energetic that they actually have their own magnetic fields, like the sun or the Earth. Um, so, when they finally do come in contact with the planet our planet um weird things start to happen because its own magnetic field and all of the charged particles within the plasma contact our own magnetosphere and then also our atmosphere um, which is uh, almost designed to um to deter the worst effects of those things coming at us from the sun.
1: Yeah, so our magnetosphere, that's our little first layer of protection. That would be like, um, although I was about to say like Wakanda's protective shield, that may be more like the ionosphere. Mm-hmm. But the magnetosphere is that first protection, and it's going to kind of brush away as many of those charged particles, these protons that are shooting out as possible. And because of solar wind, though, uh, it's 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 got a shape to it. The magnetosphere has like a sort of a compressed side that faces the sun. It's got a little dip near the poles of the Earth where Mm -hmm. some really magnificent stuff is going to take place, as we'll see in a minute. And then it's got this tail end that flows out from the back. And the Earth's magnetic field is going to block these particles from most of the surface. The sun's the solar wind is going to push them along toward that tail. And in that dip at the poles is where you're going to see these really brilliant auroras.
0: Yes, but... The the magnetism, the magnetic energy from the coronal mass ejection can be so energetic that it can actually push on the sun side, the day side of the Earth's magnetosphere, it's closest to the sun, push on it so much that it actually contorts the night side, the tail end that trails off into space and presses it together so that when it comes together, the Earth's own magnetosphere um, becomes energetic and quivery. And then when it goes back to its normal energy state, it releases a bunch of energy in the form of light. And when that happens, the auroras that tend to congregate at the poles can actually show up all over the planet, basically, even very close to the equator.
1: Yeah, which is crazy. And we'll talk about some of the bigger ones and some of the surprising places they showed up. But um so that's the magnetosphere I mentioned the ionosphere mm-hmm. that's sort of a um I guess a secondary protection uh that is another high layer of the earth's atmosphere and that's going to stop all the radiation because it's giving out a tremendous amount of radiation and if the ionosphere wasn't doing its job and it wasn't there we would be in big big trouble here on Oh
0: Earth. yeah we We'd be toast. I mean, like these are incredibly energetic, fast-traveling particles close to the speed of light. Um, And they would just shoot right through the tissue in our our bodies uh, and do all sorts of damage because they would probably knock all sorts of electrons off of our atoms that make up our cells and our tissue, and um, we would either develop cancer over the long term or just drop dead from a big enough dose of this stuff. So, thank goodness for the ionosphere. I mean... It it saves us like John Mayer saved the Grateful Dead. <laughs> Just in case he's still
1: listening. There's like a percentage of our audience that's like, yeah, man, preach. And there's a percentage <laughs> that is like, oh, my God, I have to turn this off.
0: <laughs> and then I'd say the vast majority are like, who, who? is John yeah. Mayer cat? <laughs>
1: exactly. Is he the guy yeah. that dated Jen Aniston?
0: <laughs> Probably. He is. Um, uh, so you got the magnetosphere you get the ionosphere and for the most part these things are capable of absorbing the worst of the sun's belches and flare-ups and everything um under normal circumstances but even even when it is protecting life on earth like us animals and the plants and the the, the plankton and you know um the whales that kind of stuff life here on earth um there are things that we humans have developed that can be um, affected by these, this space weather, by these geomagnetic storms.
1: Yeah, I guess, should we talk about the, uh, the Carrington event, one of the most exciting events? I thought it was pretty exciting, yes. It's pretty good. So, uh, this is 1859. Um, mm-hmm. Like, this kind of thing now is pretty magnificent. But I imagine 1859, <laughs> astronomers were just really, really knocked out by something like this. They said, Zeus's beard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, This is sort of late summer, August, September, and a big solar storm, uh, they later called the Carrington event, became the strongest one on record. And this is named for a man named Richard Carrington. He was an astronomer, one Mm -hmm. of England's best at the time. And he was in his observatory, and he was hanging out, and it was a sunny day, and he was working with his telescope, and he's projecting this image uh, of the sun on a screen, and Drawing. He, there were cameras at the time, but I guess the the most uh, I don't know accurate or efficient way to capture what he saw was to draw the stuff that he's observing, and that's what he was well, doing on September first, right. eighteen fifty nine.
0: Yeah, and while he was drawing the stuff, um, he saw that some of these sunspots that he was he was um, mapping, I guess, started to grow really, really bright. And he got really excited because he'd been doing this for a while, and this wasn't something he'd seen before. So he jumped up and he ran to get a friend who was going to witness this Big with mistake. Him. Yeah, he said he was gone for <laughs> a minute, tops. And when he came back, he found that these brilliant flashes of light had already started oh, to, like, weaken. Can you imagine? He was a little bummed about this, but he and he and his buddy still watched these flares like go, you know, get lower and lower and then turn into pinpoints and then vanish. Um, so what he saw, he was the first person to record a solar flare. Uh, no one had ever seen anything like it before. And that was at 11, 1123 a.m. It was it was done. It, it finished. Um, and then nothing. There was it until the wee hours of the morning later that night, the, the morning of the next day later that night, which I always just find endlessly confusing.
1: What, that it took that long?
0: No, that it's the next, that night is the next morning. Oh. <laughs> I, I, for some reason, it just breaks my brain every time. I'm, I realize how sad that is to admit, but right. it's true.
1: <laughs> yeah, so in the wee hours, the the skies put on a light show all over the earth, red, green, mm-hmm. purple auroras, very brilliant, very exciting newspapers. you could like read the newspaper at night. they saw this stuff in the Hawaii, El Salvador, and the Bahamas. They um, saw
0: the auroras in the Bahamas I know,
1: isn't that nuts <laughs> that is nuts uh there were towns neighboring towns that thought the that uh, like Shelbyville was on fire. Springfield thought <laughs> Shelbyville was on fire and vice versa. Yeah. There yeah. were birds chirping they thought because they thought it was dawn uh, there was a, a brick mason crew in South Carolina that. Got up and, you know, they were like two beers in going to work (laughs) when they realized that, hey, it's the middle of the night. Right. And they looked at each other and said, man, this is 125 years before Ghostbusters.
0: (laughs) Oh, nice. Very nice, Chuck.
1: Yeah, well, it seemed canned then. Because it was I, premeditated. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. How about this? I'm going to give you a huge hearty surprised laugh and we'll okay. edit out the conversation
1: before. How about that? All right, ready? And they all looked at each other, two beers in, and said, Ghostbusters won't even come out for another 125 years. <laughs> what? Oh, my God.
0: I did not see that coming, dude. How long has it been since we talked about it? I don't that?
1: know. That's perfect. And we'll just fix that all on editing.
0: That's great. Thanks, Chuck. Whew. I need a. I need a Couple of beers myself after that one. <laughs> so one of the other things um, that really went haywire was the telegraph system, right? Yeah, because this is 1859, and the telegraphs were at the they were the the leading edge, not bleeding edge. You taught <laughs> me that that's totally wrong. The leading edge of technology of telecommunications at the time. Um, and these telegraph lines depended on currents being sent over wires, um, and so those wires were overloaded by this geomagnetic storm so much so that sparks were shooting off of the telegraphs. Um, operators were getting shocked and burned. The telegraph paper was catching on fire when it was nearby. It's like a movie. And then in some. It was very much like a movie. All this is happening all over the world at the same time. It's just crazy. It's the like, very, very early morning of the next day after the Carrington <laughs> event, right? <laughs> so one of the things that got me was um, they, they, they unplugged the batteries to these things, uh, the telegraphs, and they found that the, the wires were still so energetic with electricity from the geomagnetic storm that they could still send telegraphs even though they they had no power of their own, they were they were able to send uh, telegrams over the telegraph line, yeah, even with them disconnected from the batteries.
1: That's the fact of the show to me.
0: Oh, wow. that's well, amazing! Thanks for letting me have that.
1: one. I mean, they must have thought it was haunted or something.
0: I, I think think so. In eighteen fifty nine, you know,
1: like sure, the plug is unplugged and it's still working. They were like Zeus's beard. This is crazy. <laughs>
0: There's another thing too, um some telegraph operators couldn't send telegraphs even though the lines were active because the the magnetism in these currents was so strong that the armature, the thing that they tap up and down, uh-huh. was like fused to the plate beneath it. It was just <laughs> the magnet the magnetism was so strong. It wouldn't move.
1: I they thought you were gonna say they thought it was possessed. So they well, like, they like left the room screaming. They they did.
0: Seuss's beard.
1: <laughs> oh, we got the third one in there. Yeah, should we take another break?
0: Oh, oh, almost. So, so one other thing. Let's just wrap the Carrington event up real quick, okay? All right. So, ten a.m. The effects of this whole crazy event are are done, and you know it gets talked about. This is a worldwide event, but it, it's kind of like treated it as a scientific anomaly, right? People people understand what happened and what caused it and why it happened over the years as we learn more and more about solar flares and coronal mass ejections. But it didn't become apparent that this Carrington event was actually a harbinger of like real, much bigger problems that could happen to us alive on Earth today until the 70s. And um, maybe we'll take a break, Chuck. <laughs> And come back and talk about how that could be problematic right after this. Great. Listen to this it's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments, and if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for.
1: Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful.
0: Hey everybody, Josh and Chuck are here to tell you about a new podcast, Car and Drivers Into Cars, a production of Car and Driver and iHeartMedia's Ruby Studio.
1: That's right. It's hosted by Eddie Alterman and Tony Quiroga. Into Cars is the ultimate podcast for car lovers. Whether you're in the market for a new set of wheels or just love the sound of a V8, car and drivers panel of editors and car experts test drive and review today's most compelling new rides.
0: And the best part. Eddie and Tony have no filter. They review cars with the same blend of intelligence, independence, and irreverence that has made Car and Driver a trusted source for news and reviews since 1955.
1: Car and Drivers Into Cars is brought to you by eBay Motors. All the parts you need at the prices you want, guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Visit ebaymotors.com for more. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
0: So jump in, buckle up, and listen to Car and Drivers Into Cars, available wherever you get podcasts. Showcased site.
1: So just go to squarespace.com/slash stuff and you're going to get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use our offer code Stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So the world changed a lot between the Carrington event in the mid-1800s and in the 1970s when uh, scientists had a much bigger handle on what this kind of thing meant. Mm-hmm. And in the 1970s, we were uh, – the whole world was very dependent on electric power, you might be surprised to learn. Right. And they knew, like, hey, if we had another Carrington event today – it could be a big deal because, and we'll get to this later, but, like, we got a lot of metal on this earth,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we use the earth to ground everything, basically, with ground wires, mm-hmm. and that creates a unique problem, potentially, if we had another event like this.
0: Yeah. The the fact that we chose to use the earth as a ground um, to where our grounding wires go from our electrical components tie into a metal rod that's driven into the earth so that whenever excess electricity is generated by the electronics that we use, it gets distributed through the grounding wire to the earth where it dissipates. That makes all of our electronics vulnerable to a geomagnetic storm because in a geomagnetic storm the ground itself can become magnetized and even more than that Chuck we've buried a lot of metal infrastructure from like pipes to um, cables to all sorts of metal stuff is snaking through the ground right now and when the ground becomes magnetized in a geomagnetic storm, it can, cre- it can carry really powerful currents through all the infrastructure, up through the grounds, through the grounding wires and into our electronic components, uh, including things like power transformers, and overload them to the point where they fail catastrophically.
1: Yeah, and this, uh, this sort of happened in August 1972, uh, there was a big, big solar flare that Knocked out our long-distance phone communication across Illinois, so that was just sort of an early example of like, hey, this can actually have a real effect here on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was a big one. It took uh, I think about 15 hours to hit Earth, whereas it usually takes two to three days. Right. Um, it also set off these. Um, we had it was during Vietnam, obviously, and we had magnetic sea mines in harbors around Vietnam. It exploded those. Yeah. So I don't know if they were supposed to be like secretly there, and if that was kind of like a oh, whoops, sorry about that, uh, or if they knew that they were there and and they just went off. But either way, um, that was a pretty scary scene. It
0: was, and apparently it was a mystery for a long time until somebody finally figured out why those sea mines all went off. They they connected it to the um to that coronal mass ejection, I believe.
1: Yeah, but you can imagine like all the damage. uh that could occur. Like, even if you're just talking about the electrical grid, mm-hmm. if it really blew out, it wouldn't be just like a blackout. Like, it would destroy parts of our electrical grid such that it would take, uh, it's not like, hey, let me go out and fix this over a few hours during a snowstorm. It's right. It might take weeks or months or even up to a year if we had a big enough, uh, like, blast to the grid.
0: Yeah because I mean it is by necessity our electrical grid is interconnected so if uh, one part of it gets overloaded that can overload other parts that are connected and if you have a whole city without power for let's say Los Angeles ran, went out of power for a month what would happen <laughs> what would be the what would be the outcome of that i uh, mean you couldn't do anything pretty. And when you start thinking like that, you start thinking about, oh, my God, like, think about all the stuff we do that requires electricity. Everything we do requires electricity in some form or fashion. And so to be without electricity in a major city or multiple major cities for even a couple of weeks is just unthinkable. But that's that's the level of v- vulnerability we're at because of the way that our electrical components are set up because they're grounded.
1: Yeah, and, and not just like a— uh, chain reaction, apocalyptic kind of activity, but um, just monetary loss. Like the economic mm-hmm. and financial damage for the city of Los Angeles to be without power for a month would be astounding, right? Um, so you know, there's stuff they could do. They could uh, they could fit some very critical transformers with resistors and capacitors, but these things are like hundreds of thousand dollars per transformer, so. That's just too much money, so they're not doing that.
0: No, they're not. And I wonder if there's going to be, like, some close call that makes everybody be like, okay, we need to invest this in our infrastructure. Or, you know, are we going to figure out some other means of, you know, a backup system? I'm not sure.
1: Or that happens Uh, to, like, Topeka, and then everyone says, hey, if this happened in Topeka, mm -hmm. and they lost, you know, (laughs) several hundred dollars and." (laughs) <laughs> that's really mean I was gonna say did you think do you think Topeka would <laughs> that's do it so mean do you think that would convince anybody I don't know I, I'm so sorry Topeka but you get my point if it happens somewhere sort of in a smaller area then mm. the big cities might say hey that means it could happen to us the people right. who really matter
0: <laughs> right the coastal elites would stroke their beards Those and jerks. cluck their tongues <laughs> yeah so um so, yeah, there's, there doesn't seem to be a lot of initiative right now to, to figure this out. And we're just kind of sitting ducks in a weird way. It's nothing. I don't think it's anything to, to lose sleep over, but it's really surprising. Like, the more I dug into this, the more I was like, huh, this could kind of be a thing someday. And it's not just, you know, the uh, the electrical grid uh here on earth alone is is what would is all that would be affected by that there um things we rely on out in space like sure. satellites uh, a a bad enough geomagnetic storm could affect satellites in a lot of ways so our gps systems would be messed up or if you um so if you use gps really important stuff, like, say, landing an airplane, you could be in big trouble. Um, and e- if you're also on planes, uh, the high-frequency radio communications they use to stay in contact with the ground, especially when they're out over the ocean or something like that, um, that can be uh, disrupted by a solar flare or a coronal mass ejection, too.
1: Yeah. Or what about a satellite, maybe, that is—I mean, there are thousands of satellites up there, but—and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, if a radio satellite went out, it would— be bad but people could live but what if it affected a satellite that's um in charge of aiding in national defense things could get a little bit scary Mm -hmm. uh if those satellites were down or you know spacecraft there's spacecraft up there and they use satellites to help orient themselves and and keep themselves safe uh yeah there's an iss although the iss supposedly is uh is protected right
0: yeah, oh yeah. The the big threat to um astronauts from coronal mass ejections and and solar flares uh, is when they're out on spacewalks, when they're doing sure. like labor say outside the ISS or something like that. Um just like it, here on earth if we didn't have the ionosphere or the magnetosphere, um we would be in big trouble. Uh, astronauts can be in big trouble. The ISS orbits within the Earth's magnetosphere, but uh, it's beyond the ionosphere. Yeah, so they right. are a little more exposed. On the ISS, it's shielded, so they're not nearly as exposed. But out on a spacewalk, they if it were a really bad coronal mass ejection, they could be in, in a lot of trouble.
1: Yeah. Um, like Sandra, what's her face in that movie?
0: Exactly.
1: Uh, what is her last name? I can't remember. Sandra Bernhardt, yeah. no. Sandra Bullock Sandra, Sandra Bullock Sandy Duncan Sandra Bullock <laughs> Sandra Bullock Yeah. Right. Sandra Bernhardt. And that movie Space uh, Space Trot.
0: Space uh <laughs> craziness. Did
1: you like that movie Gravity?
0: Uh yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. If I I've only seen it once. Um me too. I I don't I don't know if I would have cast her necessarily, but it's fine. Yeah. Or George Clooney. I don't think I would have cast either of them.
1: I mean, I had some issues. I mean, it was a magnificent looking movie, but uh, mm-hmm. I think in the end I, I had some issues with the story and the script being a, like not good enough for how great of a movie it was trumped up to be.
0: Did, um, was that by the guy who did The Revenant? I think so, yeah. So Yumi and I went and saw The Revenant in Hawaii once when we were on vacation. hmm Because what else is there to do in Hawaii on vacation but go see movies? <laughs> and... Um, we saw The Revenant and this person next to us was there by by himself and he was so upset um, by Tom Hardy's character and just how evil he was that this guy was like telling him he was the devil. He had his hand up at the screen and was praying against Tom Hardy. Wow. He was really affected by Tom Hardy's character, which made the movie like even more thrilling because we would look at the movie and <laughs> then we would watch next? this person reacting <laughs> to the movie too. So, it was something something to see.
1: Yeah, I saw that once as well and I saw it on tour with you. Either it was either Phoenix or San Diego. I would we'll have to mm-hmm. look at the dates, but I just remember mm-hmm. there being palm trees. I think it was San Diego maybe when we did a show at that spooky abandoned church. (laughs) Man, I'm
0: convinced still to this day that that's the church from The Prince of Darkness, that John Carpenter movie.
1: that was a weird show because that was the one, I know you remember that guy sat on the front row and shot the whole thing with a video camera.
0: And he looked like he was mad too, like he was documenting
1: evidence or something to use against us. We both were like, I think we were so caught off guard, we didn't know what to say. We're like, (laughs) do we call this guy out and say, sir, can you please put away your camera? Yeah. So we just soldiered on.
0: Yeah, we were pinned down by the the unrelenting glare
1: of the lens. Then he went back to his apartment and showed it on TV to his roommate, who was the Tom (laughs) Hardy guy. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that guy was like, these guys are the devil. (laughs) I'm praying against them. Oh, man. Uh, All right. So, yes, back to the show. Oh, yeah? Where are we? Oh, here's the deal. We're talking about (laughs) astronauts and satellite operations and GPS. This isn't stuff that we've just um, said, well, this probably could happen. A a lot of it is, but um, this actually has happened. Um, Mm -hmm. We mentioned the thing in Illinois with the phone systems, and then in um, the 2003, that uh, CME, that did disrupt satellites, and that did disrupt high-frequency radio communications that aviation relies on. And mm-hmm. that did black out a city in Sweden,
0: Mhm, Malmo, everyone says no, not Malmo, yeah, <laughs> Malmo everybody right. so th- this the kind of thing can happen, it does happen it 's just never happened on such a massive scale. Um, they figured out from looking at Arctic ice cores, apparently highly energetic particles leave um, remnants, not revenants, remnants in nitrates frozen in the ice at the poles. And um, by examining these cores, they can see how bad or how often or how many solar flares have hit Earth in the past. And they figured out that the Carrington event is like a 500-year solar flare and it happened about 150, 170 years ago, hopefully we're in the clear. The key is, is we're still figuring out the dynamics of the sun and solar activity, so we're not exactly certain that maybe we're not due for a thousand-year solar flare. Um, We're just starting to figure this out. But we are figuring it out. That's step one. And we also actually have space weather forecasters here on Earth at NOAA and at the National Weather Service. There are people whose job it is to track solar activity and to predict things like coronal mass ejections and solar flares so that people can like like utility companies can maybe take um, steps to mitigate the worst effects eventually. I think right now we've got like an eight to ten minute heads up. So that's not enough. But as we yeah. get to understand it a little more, we'll have more warning time. And, you know, astronauts can plan their spacewalks when they're out doing stuff like building future space colonies. This is all going to come into play for that, too.
1: Yeah. So, hopefully, they can get that up to at least over an hour. That would help.
0: Sure. So, again, it's nothing to lose sleep over. That's not the point of this episode. It's more just kind of like, gee whiz, this is is amazing. By Zeus's beard, I've never heard of anything like
1: this. (laughs) The old fourth reference.
0: Yeah, surprising fourth one. Mm -hmm. Did not see that coming, did Did you? Did not. You got anything else? I got nothing else. All right, everybody. Chuck said he's got nothing else. So that's it for this episode, which means it's time for Listener Mail.
1: Let me see here. I've actually got quite a few today, which is uh, an abundance. We've been getting more than usual, haven't we? Yeah, we've been getting good ones. All right, I'll choose this one. Uh, I'm going to call it Rush Girl. Hey guys, I've been a long-time listener, but you have never, uh, but I've never had a reason to write until your recent Fort Knox episode. In mm-hmm. it, uh, you refer to the joke you had made about women not liking the Three Stooges. By the way, I got a little grief for that, and also mm. support for that. Weirdly, mm-hmm. uh, Chuck made the comment that it wasn't like he had something, had said something true, but there, like there being no women Rush fans. I immediately laugh because my future mother-in-law is the biggest Rush fan. <laughs> I love this lady. <laughs> Uh, She and my fiancé have a bond over this band. In contrast, I thought the band was made up just for the movie I Love You Man. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Megan did not know Rush was a real band. She thought that was a fake band in a movie.
0: (laughs) Megan, you have a whole world ready to open up to you.
1: Yes, you do. Uh, I guess that uh, they fit the trope. Uh, According to my fiancé, they call female Rush fans Gettycorns. Uh, which sounds made up, but he swears it's true. Hmm. Getty some I don't get that, but it, like a unicorn, maybe. Oh, yeah, exactly. Or, or it could be candy corn. No, no, no I'm sure it's like the Getty Getty Lee uh, unicorn mashup. I like that. Okay. I, I didn't get that until just now, so thank you. Sure. Uh, at any rate, I can uh, recognize the joke, and I'm not coming after you for that. I just found it funny that all the stereotypical male bands you could have picked, you chose my mother-in-law's favorite. Thanks for all you do. Your podcast has gone a long way toward helping me de stress after a day of teaching during COVID. And that is from Megan Power. And Megan, thank you and big ups to your mother in law for being a Getty yeah. Corn.
0: Yeah, not to be confused with
1: Candy Corn. No.
0: Uh, well, if you want to be like Megan and let us know how we just totally blew your mind somehow or other, we love hearing that stuff. You can put it in an email and wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to StuffPodcasts at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of
1: iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey friends, when someone says Amazon, do you think healthcare? Well, maybe you should. Amazon One Medical offers same day appointments. And if somehow that's still not convenient enough, they have 24 seven virtual care. Not only that, there's also Amazon Pharmacy. So after your virtual care appointment, Amazon will deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. Now waiting in line with people who are sick with who knows what. It's a new era of healthcare. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful.